Good morning, everybody. Uneducated economist here. So I just got out of a Zoom meeting with Owen Benjamin. What an awesome dude. That was a great conversation. We talked for about an hour. We covered all kinds of great topics. What happened? What's going on now? What we expect from the future? And, um, you know, just the things about living life and, you know, some of our experiences. So Great interview, great conversation. Uh, I look forward to posting that and seeing what you guys have to say about it. So look forward to that one coming up here in a few days. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about this email I got the other day. Um, it's very interesting. It comes from a gentleman, Aaron. And I and I and the reason why I say it's interesting is because it brings up a great idea for a discussion. Because people ask me all the time, how do we fix this? And I've said it before, there is no fixing the system. There, there is no fixing it, right? But listen to this email. Hello, Mr. Economist. Sorry, I don't know your name. It's Simon, by the way. Long email here. He says, my name is Aaron, and I'm an economic pleb, trying to learn more about the financial world. As I see it, America is in a slow decline due to what I like to call societal decay due to the expansion of the monetary supply. I am in a very early beginning stages of writing my own book on how to fix a broken world. And step two, in my opinion, is to fix the money. Step two is to fix the education system. I am a fan of Bitcoin and gold, but I am also a fan of hearing different, differing views, even Keynesian views, especially knowing my pleb views may be incorrect. I do have a couple of math degrees, though, so one thing I do know is that all of life is probability. So no one can predict the future, and so no one has all the answers. That said, I watch a handful of different financial folks, including yourself. And I always hear people bashing the other side. Mostly it's Keynesian versus Austrian school, or similar. People tend to, dis people tend to just discuss the pros and cons of the different financial systems. But I want to hear someone talk about what kind of monetary system they would implement if they were made king, so to speak, and had the power to actually implement any system of their choosing. Have you, have you yourself talked about that, or do you know of any other interviews that have? I'd love to hear what you'd do if you were king. If you haven't done so, maybe you would be, maybe it would be a good idea for a future video. Wink wink, nudge nudge. Some questions I would like to see discussed. Number 1. Do we absolutely need a monetary system to expand along with any economy in order to facilitate the economic growth? In other words, if the economy is growing, do we absolutely need to print more dollars into circulation? Could a financial system work if we outlawed fractional reserve banking and quantitative easing, and maybe only used full fractional reserve, whether gold or Bitcoin? Would this cause too much hoarding of dollars? Or would the hoarding simply be a removal of the excess crap that Americans buy? and maybe removal of planned obsolescence too. Number two, can the current system we have of quantitative easing and factional reserve banking continue to be used and not completely crash the dollar? 
sometime in the future? History seems to say no. But are there different factors involved now that might make you think otherwise? Number three, assuming you believe the current system will eventually collapse and you were made king today, how would you even begin to proceed to fix this mess we are in? Number four, assuming you believe our financial system will eventually fail without a course correction, would perhaps incorporating heavy financial education into the public schools allow the current system to survive and even thrive? Or would it just delay the inevitable crash? Heavy just means studying it as much as we do, say, English class, which is in every year in school. There's probably a lot to think about and planning to discuss in this video. If time is critical for you, perhaps you could instead just suggest some readings or links for me, or convince Mr. Gammon to do a video on it. Thus far, I have only read Cantillon's essay, thanks, thanks to you on that, The Bitcoin Standard, The History of Central Banking, because Amazon banned it, Ray Dalio's Changing World Order, and a crapload of videos. Haha. <laughs> I am an economic pleb, as I said, so any tips on introductory literature that might be good reference would be much appreciated. And apologies for the long email. But thanks, or, but thank you for reading if you got this far. Aaron. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for this email, and this is actually a great topic to discuss. I think this is probably one of the biggest things that people are asking. How do we fix this system? And I've said it before, like, and I'll say it again. I just don't feel that you can fix this system. Let's go through these questions, and we'll talk about it, and maybe we can understand why it is that I feel that you just can't fix the system and what I would do if I were king, right? Because that's really ultimately what this question, what the, uh, what the email is asking. So here we go. First question. Do we absolutely need a monetary system to expand along with the economy or along with an economy in order to facilitate that economic growth? In other words, if the economy is growing, do we absolutely need to print more dollars into circulation? Could a financial system work if we outlawed fractional reserve banking and quantitative easing? And maybe only used fractional, full fractional reserve, whether gold or Bitcoin? Would this cause too much hoarding or would the hoarding simply be a removal of the excess crap that Americans buy or maybe a removal of planned obsolescence too? Okay. Do we absolutely need a monetary system to expand with an economy's growth? I believe yes. And I believe that's probably the, the reason that you have given just later. Would that cause hoarding? Yes. So if we went to a gold standard, which would be a limited amount of money, like you could have the economy growing, but if you only have so much gold in circulation, the only way to get more gold into circulation is to go and mine it out of the ground. So if that's the case, then you're going to have a limited amount of money coming into an expanding economy. That is going to end up causing a hoarding issue as more concentration of gold goes into just a handful of people's hands who are at the top of the game. Right now, it's pretty much the business cycle. Like, you know, as businesses expand and start bringing in the money, they start concentrating that money until eventually very few people have the concentration of money. It's all, I mean, very few people in, have the money themselves, and that concentration of money ends up getting redispersed out again. And so these are the booms and bust cycles of the business. 
that has been switched into a boom and bust cycles of debt. So can the economy function without an expanding monetary supply? I don't, I don't believe so. So you either either have, you either have to add more gold or you have to add more debt to the system so that people have something to use as the economy expands. And that's really where the Federal Reserve was meant to participate in the economy by adding currency when the economy was heating up and then pull that currency back out as the economy was shrinking. And they would keep a elastic money supply to be a constant stable. Like they were going to try and keep these prices stable during these booms and bust cycles. <clears throat> so I don't really feel that there could be a way that you could have a steady economy that doesn't have booms and bust cycles to it, whether it's from debt or from the concentration of gold into a handful of people's hands, like during the gold standard in a business cycle. So either way, there's you're going to have a boom and bust cycle that happens. It's just part of the economy. And. I, I just don't feel that there's a way that you can avoid that. Uh, let's see here. Um, can the current system we have of quantitative easing and fractional reserve bankings continue to be used and not completely crash the dollar sometime in the future? History seems to say no, but are there different factors involved now that might make you think otherwise? Yes and yeah, I do agree that the current system we have with the quantitative easing, the fractional reserve banking was to continue to be used. It will completely crash the system. Yes, I believe that. However, history does say this, right? But there are different factors. So I do agree with this. And he says there are different factors involved now that might make you think otherwise. And that is the digital currencies. So already, if you go and you look at like some of the statements from the Bureau of International Settlements or the IMF, they have talked about going into negative interest rates. And the main reason that they want to go into negative interest rates, or I would, they didn't say this straight up, but I would feel that the main reason that they need to go into negative interest rates is because in order for the banking system to stimulate the economy, they have to drop interest rates and get people to borrow money to buy houses and cars and go on vacation. Now, the Federal Reserve has been able to... Uh, get their Fed funds rate up to what would be a significant amount. Like that 5% is what the Fed would typically want to drop during a recession. So they pretty much got their ammo back on it. But after that, I don't know what it is that they plan on doing to, in order to get the, get the interest rates back up to that 5% if they don't have an inflation battle that they're trying to fight. So the next one after this, like what the Federal Reserve is going to do to lift their Fed funds rate after they drop them to combat the next recession... <clears throat> I don't know what it is they're going to do. So they're most likely going to have to end up going into negative interest rates, which means that they need the central bank digital currency and to get cash out of the system. So the way it sits right now, no, the system will crash if they do not have a central bank digital currency and take interest rates into negative territory. So, yes, I agree that the system will crash the way it is, but that there is a difference this time because they are going to change the way the monetary policy is working with that digital currency. OK, moving on. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. Uh, number three, assuming you believe the current system will eventually collapse and you were made king today, how would you even begin the begin to proceed to fix the mess we are in? You can't. I mean, you just can't fix this mess. The only thing I could say 
is for each individual person to understand the current situation that we are in so that they can conduct themselves <clears throat> in the most appropriate fashion they can. That is the only thing that I could possibly suggest to try and fix this system because there is nothing that a government or a banker or anything else can do. There's no suggestion, no system, no anything that I can find that is going to be like, here's your system, here's your perfect system that everybody's going to be happy with and everybody's going to flourish, right? There, it doesn't exist. So it's it's like not even something that I try to try to theorize on because I it's like, it's, I don't know, it's like something that is completely fabricated out of imagination that isn't going to happen. So I don't, I don't pretend to try and understand how to fix the mess. Now, I think your fourth question actually lends a lot to if there was one thing that we could do, what would it be? And that's it to fix the education system within it all. So question number four, assuming you believe the financial system will eventually fail without course correction, would would survive and thrive, okay, talking about the current system, or would it just delay the inevitable crash? Heavy just means studying it as much as we do, say, English class, which is in every school. Okay, so, again, like, I feel that if the people were to understand the system for themselves and conducted themselves appropriately to what they feel that they are, you know, would be the best opportunity for them, that would be the best course of action. If you were to, say, put courses into school to teach kids exactly our situation that we are in, the debt-based currency, the fractional reserve system, digital currencies, gold standard, all that stuff, if you were to educate the kids inside of that, the system would fail. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It won't work. It won't work if you teach them because then they would not conduct themselves in a way that would allow the system to continue to function. They would not take out the debts. They would not do the things that they do in today's economy, the today's society. They would not be functioning that way because they would not be making those type of decisions. Subconsciously, intuitively, they would crash the system all on their own because they know that it that it's not correct. Right. So you can't fix it through the education system either. 
See, that's why I'm saying you can't fix this system. It's it, There's no way. Okay. If I were king, what would I do? Okay. That would just be it. I would try to encourage people to figure it out for themselves because that's the only way it would really work. Then I would offer up a partial back gold standard to the U.S. Treasuries. I'm not a financial banker. I could not tell you how that system would work. But if you could introduce a limited amount of debt that the governments could take out, they would not conduct themselves in the way that they do. I don't think that system would last very long for the United States in the way that we have our standard of living. I think that would not, it would not be the same. People's um, ideas of what it is to survive would completely shift. There would be no more handouts from government, or there might be some, but it would be very limited style stuff. That is not something that I think people are prepared to do or even would vote for anybody to try and and implement. Like that is not a concept for people to, to try and, and move towards. So because of all that, I just don't feel that there's any way that you can fix the system. And that's the point of this channel is to try and get people to start looking at finance, try to look at the banking system, look at their own current situation, because no matter what somebody says on YouTube or in an article or anything else, they don't know you. They don't know your situation. They don't know what you have gone through. They don't know what you dream of and what you need in your life. So this is the reason why you have to figure this stuff out for yourself. And it doesn't matter if you believe the person that is giving you this information. It's not for you to believe them. It's for you to believe the information that you have. You go and you look and see what they, they've studied. And if it's you know legitimate, if it's a credible source, right? You take in all that information with a grain of salt, you collect it all, and then you can come up with your own ideas of what it is that's happening here. You theorize it for yourself. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to do. That's one of the reasons why I kind of stopped listening to a lot of other YouTubers out there, not because they don't have awesome information. All these guys have incredibly good information. And I'm not trying to deny that. I'm not saying that at all. I don't listen to it because I'm trying to come up with my own theories, my own idea of what's happening here in the economy. And that's where the major, you know, the major difference that would take place within everything out there is if people kind of took that attitude towards it. It's okay to listen to other people, I mean, but to believe other people straight up, every word that they say, I think is very dangerous, right? You need to figure this stuff out for yourself and understand it for yourself. And then when those people talk, you can either say, yeah, I believe that, or I don't believe that, or that seems interesting, I'll keep that in mind, right? This is the way you learn for yourself. Um, <clears throat> I haven't read a whole lot. I read Cantillon's essay on economic theory, and I read The Creature from Jekyll Island. Those are the only two books that I have ever read on economics. Now, there is a lot of books that I would really love to read. The Wealth of Nations is like something on, on the top of my list. It's 900 pages long. I, That's like all the books I've ever read in my life combined don't add up to 900 pages. Like that's seriously like how many books I've read in my life. So I couldn't suggest anything to read except for those two books because they're the ones that I've read and you already read Cantillon's essay. 
And the other one would be um, uh, if there was a book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and then The Wealth of Nations. So those are the only three because The Wealth of Nations is the next book that I'm going to try and tackle. So it would be nice if, you know, if, if other people have read it too. So from what I understand, somebody was telling me that out of all the economists out there surveyed, just 12% have ever read The Wealth of Nations. So you think about it, if you read The Wealth of Nations, you're going to have information that practically 90% of the economists out there don't have. That's something to think about, right? 90%. Anyway, um, and oh, and the speeches, the Fed speeches are by far the, where I got most of the information that I have learned about the economy. And that's another thing, like learning about the economy from a Keynesian teacher or an Austrian economics teacher, you're going to learn those methods, like how it is that, you know, the economy should be conducted and the political atmospheres around them and all that other stuff. I didn't learn the economy from that. I learned it from watching the Federal Reserve and their speeches. And so I'm learning from the people who are conducting the monetary policies. So when you find like teachers or instructors or economists out there or anybody who is talking about the way things ought to be or this is, you know, whatever. What they are doing is not looking at it from the people who are conducting the monetary policy themselves. Like I can care less what a, an, a Keynesian theory is or an Austrian theory is. I want to know what the Fed's theory is. Like that's it because it's not that I trust the Fed or I want the Fed to be in power. They're the ones who are in charge of monetary policy. So it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It matters what the Fed says. And so I just listen to the Fed, read the Fed speeches. If you don't understand the Fed speech, like you're reading it and you come across something inside of there that you just don't understand, stop, figure that line out, figure out exactly what they mean by that. And there was times when I was reading Fed speeches that I would come to a spot that I would like, okay, I don't understand what they're talking about here. There might be a footnote. It would lead to another speech. I would read that speech and there would be information in there that I didn't understand. So I'd have to go and figure that out and then go back to that speech, read that speech, figure out what it meant then go back into the original speech that I had. So it was just like I kept going down these damn rabbit holes to try and figure things out. The more I did that, the more I realized they were covering the same information over again. And then I started getting to the point where I could read these speeches and I didn't have to, I like I understood everything that they were saying within them. Once that started to happen, I could start predicting what it is that the Federal Reserve was going to do. And that's why like I feel that a lot of people have misunderstood where it is that the Federal Reserve is moving with their monetary policies. Even just in their recent statement, Jerome Powell kept referring to the 2% inflation over time. And I think that is, and he chose those words specifically. Like you go and you listen to him, he said it like at least three times within his, within his speech there. And he said it just like that, 2% inflation over time. Like he didn't say 2% average. He didn't talk about like what they're planning on doing with their interest rates once the inflation comes down to the 2% target again. They didn't, he didn't talk about anything like that. He just used those words, 2% inflation over time. And we know from this channel and the statements from the Federal Reserve that that means he's going for a 2% average over time. That's what the FOMC is shooting for. So once the 2% target is achieved, the interest rates will stay elevated and the people will flip out. I'm making that call right now that the people will flip out big time saying that the Federal Reserve is causing un, unnecessary 
hurt and damage and pain to the economy because the 2% of target has been achieved, but yet they keep the interest rates elevated. You listen, that's going to happen in six months or whatever it's going to be. I'm making that call now. Uneducated economist, you guys let me know. Aaron, thank you so much for the email. That was a great, great topic to discuss. I think this is going to be a great video for us to, uh, to have a great comment section on. Um, check out Owen Benjamin's uh, interview later on in the week. And you can always catch all these videos on podcast as well. If you would rather listen to the podcast as opposed to watching them here on YouTube, you guys let me know as the podcast. You can find a link for it down in the description. Uneducated economist, you guys let me know.